disciples have been marked at the greatness of the temple and begins to point their eyes to what is eternal. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be fallen from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. These words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His disciples, many would say is far-fetched to talk about stars falling from the heaven and the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light. It seems like apocalyptic fantasy. And yet, just this week, CNN wrote two days ago about a title saying, Giant Dying Star Explodes as Scientists Watch in Real Time. And we see as we look out to the universe, as we look at the invasion in Kazakhstan, as we see what's going on in our world today, we see that the words of our Lord and Savior are not far away, they are near. And yet in the midst of this, He speaks these words to His disciples, so that our hope might not rest on the things of this world, but on the sure and steady anchor of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's our joy and privilege to come to Him this morning in His presence, our King and our Lord. Let's come to Him in prayer. Lord Jesus, these words You gave, and You also told Your disciples as well, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. And Lord Jesus, we confess in this world with so much that is going on with um, our world on the one hand, preoccupied with the worries and fears of global warming and a world that is changing, and on the other end of the spectrum, struggling with everything that is going on with COVID and all the different strains that go on the invasions that are going on in different parts of the world, and the upheaval, and the political tensions abroad and at home, and then among our people, those who have suffered loss recently, whether it be a death of family members, whether it be illness or sickness, whether it be loved ones who are struggling physically or spiritually. Lord Jesus, your words are not far off or fantasy. 
they speak to the truth of the world in which we live in, a world which has been created by you, a world which you hold together, a world in which every event is leading up and is part of your sovereign plan, the plan of your word, the word that the Father has ordained in order to show us his love, in order to dwell with us, in order to provide us a way of salvation so that wrong would be made right, so this world would be set on its proper course, so that the evil things of this world would be destroyed, and so righteousness and glory and grace and truth would reign eternally. As we consider these things, Lord Jesus, we come to you, the only sovereign ruler and king, the Lord of all, and we ask for your help. We ask, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness. We confess with the distraction of the holidays and many things going on. Lord Jesus, we can focus on the problems and fail to see the remedy and the solution, which is you. And many times, Lord Jesus, we confess as your people, we have fallen asleep as the gatekeepers and as the guards and as the servants. And our lives have become busy many times with secondary things. And yet your love is given to us through your word as you come alongside us and you gently remind us. Each day is a gift from you. We don't live in light of the plans we make several months or years from now, Lord Jesus. Each day is a gift from you. We do not know what tomorrow brings apart from your word. And so you called us, Lord Jesus, as you've given us new life and a new family and a new beginning to use every day that you've given us to glorify you and to enjoy you to the fullest, to share your love with others, to be diligent to be about your work, which is to share the good news of your death and your resurrection with a world that is dying in its sin. And to set our hearts apart because you've redeemed them and claimed them and made them for yourself. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to this end. As we gather here this morning, we lift up to you those who are in need, especially, Lord. There are those who are at home who are sick with illness. A number of our members, Lord, have had COVID and are not here with us. Others, Lord, have had uh, things come up in their families that are just difficult and hard, including family members who are seriously sick or those who have passed. And Lord, we just lift them up to you. And we ask as a church, would you help us to be diligent and to stay awake and loving them in the way that you have loved us. Help us to care for them. Help us to be diligent to care for their needs. But help us, most of all, Lord Jesus, to really share with them and point them, Lord, to the love that surrounds them and supports them, the love of the cross, the love of our Savior, the love of your word, because that is the only thing that will bring healing and restoration encouragement and strength in a world in which even in our own bodies we've lost control. Lord, we pray for this church as we look to the new year and I ask that you would help the leaders of this church. Lord, would you keep our hearts holy? Would you mature us? Would you show us the areas where we have hidden sins? And would you make us into holy men and leaders that you called us to be? that we would lead the way in holiness with eyes focused not on ourselves but on you, and that we would shepherd your sheep in a way that is pleasing to you to give your love and your care and your truth, to strengthen the weak, to give courage and encouragement to the faint-hearted, to give exhortation and rebuke to the proud, 
for those who love you, Lord, to stir their hearts up to love your good deeds. We pray, Lord, for the men of this church. And we just ask, Lord, that you would raise up godly men amongst us. Would you set them free from the sin that ensnares them and breaks them? Would you enable them through the power of faith to see your glory and goodness? Would you allow them, Lord, to rise up and walk away from all the distractions that hold them back? And would you convict them of sin and their need, their desperate need for your mercy? And would you make them men of your mercy who are holy and set apart and are able to give to others in abundance the mercy they have received? For the ladies of this church, Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen and encourage them as helpers who will point the leaders of the church in the direction that they should walk to have humble and godly spirits willing to receive and trust in you that their hope will be placed, Lord, not on the things that are offered by this world or the answers or the remedies of this world, but that they would have hearts that are strong because they are anchored, Lord Jesus, in your word. Lord, we pray for our missionaries abroad at this time. We pray for the Morales family as they gather and worship today in Columbia. And we ask that you'd strengthen their hearts. Give them physical, emotional, and spiritual strength. Help them as they are alone in many ways. Physically, remind them that they are not alone spiritually. Give them the encouragement that they need to know that they are not alone as partners in the gospel. And we pray that you would give them a long-term hope. And though they labor hard, and though the trenches are hard to dig, and though the earth can seem hard at times, and hearts can seem fickle, that at the end of the day, Lord Jesus, you would not mend. It's you who builds your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. For our brothers and sisters around the world in difficult places, especially in a place like Kazakhstan right now, where there is great repression that is happening, in places like Afghanistan, Lord, where your believers are persecuted, and in China and Myanmar and other parts of Asia and Africa, Lord, for our fellow believers who are being persecuted and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would stir up in them eyes of faith to see the hope that someday you are coming soon that you will promise that you will make things right, that the hurts that we suffer now will be healed, and in eternity, Lord Jesus, though we are humble before your mighty hand at this time, one day we will be exalted in due time, and that the sorrows and tears that are shed now will be removed, and when we see your plan in fullness, Lord Jesus, when you come in the clouds in power and glory, Lord Jesus, we will understand what the suffering is for. It will find its proper place. And we will see the great work of love and truth and grace that you have shared with the world through our sorrows and our pain, even as you did so on the cross in your moment of us. Lord Jesus, for these things we thank you. And as we come to your word this morning, prepare our hearts, Lord. Sanctify them with your word and enable us to see your beauty, your glory, and your goodness, and your incredible love for us. In your name, Lord. Well, it's my joy this morning, not to be in the pulpit, but to actually uh, welcome our elder, Ted, to the pulpit. I had little knowledge that when I asked him to fill the pulpit on this day, that I was doing it during the week that was his birthday, and so my birthday gift to Ted was for him to be doing sermon prep during his birthday, and uh, I would say that's the Lord, not me. Uh, but we're blessed um, to have elders 
and that includes Kevin, who stepped in as our interim elder. Men whose hearts are so hard to lure, double honor elders who labor hard to just not just do small things. You know these men. They have been your counselors. They have been your shepherds. They have been with you in good times and in bad. Uh, Ted has made a commitment this year to reduce his work hours so he can spend more time at seminary uh, to be equipped for the purpose of loving you. And so um, this morning, it's our joy and privilege to hear what the Lord has been teaching him in 3 John and uh, for you to be shepherded by the power of the Spirit working in through Ted's life and his ministry. So Ted, would you come and please praise the Lord.
God. What he intends to communicate and reveal to us in this morning. And that would be a detriment to our souls. So as we come to our text this morning, to the letter of 3 John, let us receive it not as the words of man, but as the revealed word of God. That as we place our faith in the power of the divine word, despite this paper, we might be transferred into the likeness of the Son. So would you just join with me as we pray for the exposition of this word? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your word, the divine truth, communicated to us in the pages of Scripture. Lord, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in this As we sang earlier this morning, would you show us Christ? Show us more of Christ. When we behold his goodness, his glory, his If you're not there already, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 3 John. It's located at the end of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And before we begin our exposition, let's just read the entire book together. This is the word of God. The elder to the beloved guys, whom I love and truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing to you in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate good, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with enemy. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each. And I have my first slide. This morning, from the letter of 3 John, we're going to see three ways in which we, the Church of Christ, are called to walk in the truth. Three ways in which we are called to walk in the truth. First, we're to walk in the truth by partnering with those who faithfully labor to proclaim it. 
Second, we are to walk in the truth despite opposition from those who reject it. And thirdly, we are to walk in the truth for the joy of those who embrace it. Three points for this morning. In the opening verse of 3 John, we are introduced to both the human author and the recipient of this letter. Verse 1. The elder writes to the beloved guys to my love and truth. What is interesting to note is that the Apostle John does not mention his name, but instead refers to himself as the elder, just as he does in his second letter. Liberal scholars have used this fact to question the traditional view of John's authorship and to undermine its divine authority. However, a close comparison with his gospel to his other two letters, as we will hopefully see this morning, with common themes and subjects, clearly shows that the Apostle John did indeed write the letter. This internal evidence is further corroborated by early church fathers who recognized and attributed authorship of this letter to the Apostle John. Now, what about the recipient? Who is Gaius? Well, not much is known about him, aside from what is contained in this letter. In fact, Gaius was a very common name back then, just as Joshua is a common name among the children of our church. However, from what is written here in 3 John, we learn that Gaius was not only well-known, but beloved by the Apostle John. Presumably, he was a prominent member of the church in which John carried apostolic authority. He was also considered by John to be one of his spiritual children, verse 4, and one who was walking in the truth. Now, this phrase, walking in the truth, is a significant one in the letter of 3 John. Look with me again at verse for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It appears at the beginning of the letter, and is repeated for emphasis. We'll see later on that it's what distinguishes commendable example of Gaius and the condemnable actions of Diotrephes. It is also a common theme across John's epistles. He uses the exact same phrase, walking the truth, in 2 John 4. And in his first letter, written as a test of assurance of genuine salvation, he equates walking in the light to knowing and practicing the truth. Defining what the Apostle John means by walking in the truth is key to understanding our passage this morning. The verb, if I could have my next slide, is walking. Peripateo in the Greek. And it literally means to conduct one's life or comport oneself. It means to behave or live as habit of conduct. Grammatically, it is in the present tense an active voice denoting that it is a continuous action, as in, you are always More than individual deeds or behavior, it carries the idea of an ongoing lifestyle, a way of living that is evident, observed, and affirmed by others around you. 
there is a prepositional phrase that follows. It modifies walking. Walking in truth. It describes the sphere or realm in which Gaius has been walking. He wasn't walking aimlessly anywhere or everywhere, but rather specifically in the truth. But it represents much more than the sphere in which he was walking. When you go back to the original language, and this is important for us to grasp, the phrase carries the sense of being characterized by that spirit. In other words, Gaius was walking the truth so as to be characterized by it. When people at his church would mention Gaius, the first thing everyone thought of was, well, he's the guy that's always walking the truth. And it wasn't because he showed up to church every Sunday wearing a name tag that says, Hi, my name is Gaius. I'm walking the truth. No. His life, from the inside out, top to bottom, is conformed to and characterized by the truth. It was the enduring and distinguishing mark of Gaius' life. But what is this truth that characterized his walk? Repeated six times in 15 verses here in 3rd John, another five times in 2nd John, and a total of 14 times in his first epistle, Aletheia, that is the truth, refers to the objective of changing the word of God. It's what Pastor Patrick preached on last week from the book of Hebrews. And contrary to how our postmodern world would define truth as a subjective cultural construct, the Apostle John reports for us in John 17, 17, how Christ defines the truth. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. It's the inerrant, authoritative word of God. Putting it all together, walking in the truth, is more than having a head knowledge of the truth. It's not merely acknowledging, understanding, or even believing the scripture to be true. Many will profess faith in the Bible, but few actually build their lives upon the Word of God. Walking in the truth means that we are gaining the Bible and His Word, and living consistently with the truth that we believe. It means staking our lives in the supremacy of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. It means committing, submitting our lives under the authority of his word, such that every aspect of our walk, both publicly and privately, is conformed to the truth and is revealed. And in the context of 3 John, we see that for those who are walking in the truth, who imitate good and not good, those well understand, as they are true in God. At the end of the day, the question each of us needs to ask ourselves and one another is this. Are we truly walking in the truth? Is the truth of God's word what characterizes your walk today? When others observe your life, whether it be your spouse, your roommate, your co-worker, or your disciple, what would you say? Is Christ and his word what is most clearly seen in heaven and your life? Can we say with confidence that if we were to die today, what would be written on our tombstone is this. By the grace of God, He always walked in the truth.
we, we see in the letter of 3 John how the truth manifested in the life of Gaius. First point for this morning, we are to walk in the truth by partnering with those who faithfully labor to proclaim it. In verses 5 through 8, we see one of the central purposes that the Apostle John had in writing to Gaius. It also touches upon the major subject of the letter of 3 John, which is Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality. And we learn from these verses how specifically Gaius was walking the truth. We would be starting at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing to do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. The Apostle Paul begins by commending Gaius for his faithfulness and love, for the way Gaius had received those who John had sent to his church. Apparently, these brothers had returned to the Apostle John and to the church in Ephesus with an encouraging report about how they had been welcomed and treated by Gaius. This prompted the Apostle to write this letter to affirm Gaius for his hospitality. Now, who were these brothers that John has sent to the church to which Gaius belonged? Were they just members of the church who happened to travel to the town where Gaius was living? Similar to how you and I might visit LBC San Diego when we are visiting down there? Well, if we look at the immediate context, we find several clues. Verse 7. They were those who had gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They were also workers for the truth who ought to be supported. Verse 8. Finally, they were strangers to Gaius. Verse 5. Meaning he had never met them before. Yet, they were part of the God. Essentially, these brothers were Christian missionaries, itinerant ministers and heralds of the true gospel who had gone out for the cause of Christ. In order to appreciate the significance of Gaius' hospitality, it helps to understand some of the historical background surrounding the epistle of John. If we were to transport ourselves back to the late first century when this letter was written, we would discover that the fledgling church, as it was being established, mainly met in homes for teaching, prayer, and fellowship, rather than in buildings like this one that we are worshiping this morning. Furthermore, travel back then lacked the comfort and safety that we enjoy in our modern times. Today, when we travel to somewhere, we have many different lodging options, from major hotel brands such as Hyatt or Marriott, Hilton, to more family-friendly vacation rentals, including Airbnb and VRBO. In contrast, back in those days, there were only a few insults, and the ones that existed were primarily dirty, infested with fleas and rodents. They presented a number of dangers, including robbery and murder. Even the moral standards of these ends were low. Some were no more than brothels, 
as he was notoriously leading his arms. Needless to say, the lack of adequate accommodations available for missionaries back then was a real concern. As a result, itinerant preachers and ministers of the gospel were dependent on members of the local church opening their homes to, to them for lodging. You see this common custom practice throughout the New Testament. The apostles Paul and Peter were frequent recipients of such hospitality in their ministry and missionary journeys recorded in the Acts. Christ himself stayed in various people's homes as he traveled from village to village proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. More than a necessity, hospitality was a Christian duty to be done out of a love for the truth and out of obedience to the word of God. It is rooted in the character of God, reflecting the love that God had for his people who were strangers and aliens in the land of Egypt. And it is to be the mark of every believer, not just a man who aspires to the office of respect, because Christian love, and especially the love of strangers, is ultimately a commitment and an expression of truth. Writing to the saints in Rome, Apostle Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Writing to Christians under persecution, the Apostle Peter writes, show hospitality to one another without harm. The writer of Hebrews 13.2 chapter 13, verse 2 writes, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels and wares. Thus, in verses 6 and 8, the Apostle John exhorts guys who was already walking in the truth to excel still more in showing hospitality and support to faithful partners in the gospel ministry. And in verse 12, right before his final reading, Commence the dais, a man by the name of Demetrius, who very likely was the one delivering this letter from the apostle. John affirms Demetrius as a man of godly character, a fellow worker for the truth, worthy of Gaius' hospitality support. Before we move on from this first point, we ought to consider how we have been walking the truth. Are we being obedient to the Word of God and how we receive, support, send out, and show hospitality to ministers of the gospel? Do you have a love for the truth that compels you to partner with those who Some of you have been blessed with a job that pays relatively well. Others of you have recently been promoted or gotten a pay raise. Are you being a fellow partner for the truth? the way you steward the money. With the financial resources the Lord has entrusted to you, are you simply investing for personal retirement, saving up for your wedding day, or are you sacrificially giving the work of the gospel out of the love of the truth? The finances are not the primary means of support. How often do you pray? Not for your own needs, but for the needs of those who have gone out for the sake of the name do you regularly pray for missionaries or are they out of sight of mind? You might not know them all. 
You may have had one conversation a while back when they came and visited our church. But notice the standard that the Apostle Paul used to Gaius. They may be strangers to you, to you and to me. But if their faithfulness, character, and doctrine have been tested and affirmed by others, they are fellow workers of the church, deserving of our support, prayer, and hospitality. At our Hall Church retreat last October, Pastor Rodney shared with us specific ways we could support those on the mission field. He encouraged us to consider how we can be more faithful with the gospel partners and opportunities God has blessed our church with. Are we praying for the other Lighthouse Bible churches in San Diego, Los Angeles, and Orange County? For Pastor Ricardo and his family in Columbia? For Pastor Rick and his special needs ministry at Grace Community Church? For Pastor George and Matt from Baltimore Bible Church? I'll be the first to admit that it's tempting to come up with excuses. Ministry in the local church is busy. We have enough problems of our own. There are many prayer needs amongst our but if we love the truth and are walking in it, we ought to be supporting them and praying for them regularly as fellow partners in the world. This leads to our second point for this morning. We are to walk in the truth despite opposition from those who reject it. We are to walk in the truth despite opposition from those who reject it. We just learned that the Apostle John wrote this letter to commend and exhort guidance for faithfulness and support the gospel ministries. In verses 9 through 11, we see another purpose for John's writing of this third epistle. Go down with you to verse 9. He writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to dwell with brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate me, but imitate me. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil is not the same as God. The particular concern had come up within the church the apostle had been made aware of the situation, presumably by a report brought back by the missionaries who had visited and encountered resistance. This prompts John to write this letter to express his intention to address the problem as he comes. Specifically from verses 9 and 10, we learn that a self-willed individual named Diotrephes is causing division in the church with his people talk his wicked deeds. Motivated by personal ambition and desiring to be first, Diotrephes refused to receive those whom the Apostle John had sent to the church. In stark contrast to Gaius, who recognized and submitted to the Apostle's authority, Diotrephes rejected the Apostle John and falsely accused him. Not satisfied with this, his pride took him one step second half of verse 10, we see that he stopped members of the church who sought to welcome these missionaries and even kill them, kick them out of the church. 
Such blatant abuses in opposition to the truth warranted a strong response from the apostle. He had every intention to come. Certainly, walking in the truth means imitating the example of Gaius and not the evil one, Diotrephes. That was our first point. But there's another lesson to be learned from this. Walking in the truth, the gospel, comes with a cost. Walking in the truth, the gospel, comes with a cost. It's more than the time spent and the resources sacrificed to receive and support those who proclaim the gospel. We see that for Gaius, for the Apostle John, and for all who are faithfully walking in the truth, the price to pay is rejection, slander, abuse, persecution from those like Diotrephes who oppose the truth. Sadly, this is to be expected not just from people outside the church, but from people within. It is not uncommon today to hear situations in churches where elder boards are run by those who board it over others, where members who reject the authority of Christ accuse and slander their shepherds when the truth is brought to bear upon their lives. But when we consider our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this should hardly come as a surprise. During his earthly life and ministry, Christ exemplified what it means to walk in the truth. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And as the full essence, representation, and embodiment of the truth, Christ lived in total conformity to the written word of God. Isaiah tells us that he was despised. He was rejected by men. Man of sorrows and appointed with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was afflicted, oppressed, falsely accused, and eventually crucified. Walking in the truth did not spare Christ himself, but rather brought him Those who love Christ, who are committed to walking in the street, should expect no less. For Christ taught that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. He warned that his disciples will be hated by all, for he is made state, and that others will revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us, falsely on his account. The Apostle Paul, who was no stranger to suffering for the gospel, reminded Timothy that all who desire to live the godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, seeing being deceived. In the history of the church, many have followed in the footsteps of Christ. They have suffered loss. Some have even died for walking in truth. There was Stephen, first Christian martyr, a man full of faith and of the Spirit, who was stoned to death as he preached the gospel to those who rejected the truth. There were the apostles, including John, who was banished to the island of Patmos, Peter, who according to tradition was crucified upside down, and Paul, who was eventually beheaded under the reign of Nero. 
There were the Protestant reformers who faced all sorts of persecution for refusing to let the truth and authority of the gospel be subverted the church, the Roman Church. For everyone whose testimony of faithfulness has been reported for us, there are countless nameless Christians who have suffered loss and mistreatment for walking in the truth, whose names are reported in order to follow Christ, we must count the cost and be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. Even in the face of opposition, we must continue to walk in the truth. Looking to our Savior, when he was reviled, did not revile him. When he suffered, did not Instead, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justice. daily deny ourselves, take up the cross, and depend on His grace to persevere in the truth. That is our calling, and it must be our commitment. We live in an age that is becoming increasingly hostile to the truth to those who want. But rejection is not the only response we have for Third and final point for this morning is we are to walk in the truth for the joy of those who embrace it. We are to walk in the truth for the joy of those who embrace it. If we go back to verse 3, we read that the Apostle John rejoiced greatly when he received word from the returning missionaries. Gaius's appearance and faithfulness to the truth. In the next verse, he adds, For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What brings upon our lives the reproach of Christ will bring joy to other believers. According to the Apostle John, there is no greater joy. Brothers and sisters, the greatest joy and encouragement bring to your spiritual family, and especially to the leaders of this church, to Pastor Mark and the elders, as well as your discipleship leaders. It's not that you can be the that you can serve the or time for the next social transitions. It is that you would be continually and increasingly walking in the truth. That every aspect of your walk worship of Christ and will be characterized the truth. It is what brings the greatest joy to Christ and to all whom he has called to shepherd his flock. It is what we long for, pray for, and strive for in each of you that your lives will be conformed to the truth of his word as you obey and submit to him. It is the reason why he has called and gifted certain men in the church to be through his word that you might walk as you grow in Christ, and in your love, your care, and support for others, especially those who have gone out for the sake of Christ, that becomes to us a source of exceeding joy. And I am thinking that there are many moments who are walking in the truth. 
opposite is true as well. The greatest grief and party you can bring upon the shepherds and the members of Dallas household is that you are not walking in the truth. Instead, you are walking in your sin, in your pride, in your unbelief. Your walk is characterized not by the truth, but by this world which is opposed to the truth. You have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You profess Christ with your lips, but confess through your walk that He is not Lord of all. That is not what is in Scripture is clear that it is impossible to be walking in the truth and at the same time to be walking in the sin. To be walking in the light, to be walking in darkness, to be walking in the spirit, while you may be in denial of death, how you walk is your business. That it shouldn't and doesn't matter to anyone else. The truth of God's word is that the church is directly affected by your walk. Either it brings joy or it brings grief. It is why church discipline, as loving and necessary as it is, is always there is an absence of the joy that comes from knowing that members of the family are walking in truth. It is why we are called to pursue the sin in a spirit of gentleness to watch over ourselves. Because as Jesus illustrated through the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, the response in heaven and by extension in the church over one sinner who repents from the sin in which he has been walking. How are you walking today? Do those in the church, especially your shepherds, derive much joy and comfort from the way in which you are walking in the truth? As leaders and members of this church, are we pursuing and praying for this truth as we help them walk? Morning. From the letter of third John, we saw three ways in which we are called to walk in the truth. First, we are to walk in the truth by being partners with by supporting those who faithfully labor to proclaim it. Second, we are to walk in the truth despite opposition from those who reject it. Thirdly, we are to walk in the truth with the joy of those who embrace it. The question that remains leads to our application from the third John is how? How do we walk in truth? We partner with those who proclaim despite the opposition from those who oppose it, the joy of those who it. How do we walk in truth? Essentially, the call to walk in the truth is the call to follow Christ and to live according to it is to look to the one who walked perfectly in the truth, all the way in Calvary. He walked in total obedience to the truth of God so that his righteousness could be credited to us. In selfless love, he showed us hospitality. Literally, it means the love of strangers. Not by offering us food and a 
is the state. But by offering his own life in our stead to be an atonement for our sins. Having suffered and died for us, he rose from the dead three days later, so that we who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which we once walked, and remain alive to walk in truth. He endured hostility and showed hospitality, so that you and I, who were formerly strangers, aliens, and enemies of God, might be made fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, and I'll close with this, I'm going to have my last The strength to walk and persevere in the truth comes not from within ourselves. It comes from the precious by placing and daily renewing our faith in the one who walked in the truth for us. By looking to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy of the set before him, endured the cross, despising the sin of shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is what enables and it is what empowers us as a church to walk in the truth, especially in the is joy, glory, and If you're here with us this morning, if you're listening via the live stream, and you do not know Jesus Christ, if you are not walking with truth, if this truth does not characterize the law, Christ calls you to turn to him today. The Bible says that you are walking on a perilous path, one that ultimately leads to your spiritual destruction. Your sin alienates you from being holy God, one who is soft, judgeable, and is rather than Your only hope and your only recourse is to turn to Christ. He is a merciful. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing the truth to us. You revealed the truth to us in the word. Most of all, you revealed the truth to us in yourself. Lord, for those of us who know this truth, who are walking here, we thank you because it is not because of ourselves. It is because you walk in the truth to us. That we are now empowered in Help us to love this world. Help us to cherish this world. To treasure it. To obey it. To trust it. To continue to persevere in it. Because you love it. Because you love this world. Lord, for anyone here who does not know this world, for anyone who is not walking this world, Lord, we praise the Lord that you show them this. Lord, you shine your light Foolishness of the world, perilousness of the world. Lord, where is leading to destruction? Lord, would you rescue 